music i do too it's so it's great real, gets me jazzed up right yeah it's exciting it actually sounds great like i love it it does it's the best part of our show I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's arguably the most organized part of our show <laughs> yeah everything else is just kind of like you know we wing it, it. it's spaghetti you throw it against the wall see what sticks see what sticks yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. That actually goes off for the most part without a hitch every week. (laughs) For the most part. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Not always. Make sure you've shared enough of your screen and sound and turn this off and click that button over. And yeah. I hate you so much. I love you. I just hate you so much. Yeah, but I love you. (laughs) We are back, as you can tell, uh, for another action-packed episode of the fusion underground this is season four episode six this is number 44 44 number 44 we're getting up there like a big Um, dirty hairy yeah (laughs) (laughs) i want to do something special for the 50th but i don't know you keep saying that but you don't know know. i i know i keep saying that but i have no idea maybe we'll do one live We'll get like oh. find like one person who will actually like tune in and watch it. Okay, actually, I th- I think we should just do one where we start before we figure out what we're gonna talk about tonight, <laughs> and and watch everybody see the behind the scenes idiocracy that happens. Do a behind the scenes. Yeah, the at least twenty to thirty minutes before we actually get started of you going, oh my gosh, I found this. Wait, where is it? Hold on, let me click it over here. Where'd it go? <laughs> Dang it, I lost it. What's going on? <laughs> I don't I feel know. So attacked. <laughs> <laughs> well, in all fairness, I show up and you go, what do you want to talk about? I, go, I don't know. You're the boss, yeah. boss. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So much pressure. So much pressure. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can stand it. Well, here we are. We're back for another episode. And here at the Fusion Underground, we try to make sense of the world by having principled discussions about such topics as entertainment, current events, politics, and culture. Our mission is to educate people to become critical thinkers so they can live more empowered and happier lives. I'm your host, Manuel Ramirez, and I'm joined, as always, in the virtual studio with my brother, Jason Moret. How are you doing, sir? I'm great. I'm great. You know, we're going to really push that envelope tonight about the principled discussions piece. Okay. I'm just throwing it out Sounds there. great. Yeah. That, so, that's, that sounds like you're, you're intentionally going to try and get me fired up over something. I'm going to try. We're going to see what happens. Okay. We, we are I going like to see what happens. So we're, and the reason why we're going to do that is because we're going to, we're going to talk about leadership, organizational leadership, I guess, at awesome. the highest levels, leadership at the highest levels. And we're going to see where that, uh, 
where that all boils boils out. Um, but we're going to be talking about, we're going to find a way to rope in a piece that's a, a bit near and dear to both you and I, and that is Freemasonry. So we're going to do a little bit about that. This show's not okay. about Freemasonry. We're not going to talk about, we're not going to, well, let me take a, take a step back here. We're not <laughs> going to be talking to, on tonight's episode. We're not directing this at Masons, or if you don't know anything about Masonry, that's okay. Okay. And, and I want to just kind of throw that out there because I don't want people to think, oh, this is going to be an episode about Mason. No, it's really an episode about leadership. And we're going to be talking about, we're going to be sort of roping that in, equating that leadership to uh, the fraternity that you and I belong to, because I think there are some opportunities there or some issues in terms of leadership that you and I have seen over the years. And so we're going to kind of okay. use that as a barometer, so to speak. Sure. Well, it's, it's a common ground. I think you can, I can both speak yeah. to, and it's an organization like, well, any organization has, um, issues and or areas of improvement in leadership faculties. So I think that's a, that's a fair place for us to springboard from. Yeah. So it'll be good. Okay. Uh, so we're going to talk about leadership. We're also going to talk about, uh, an article from time magazine. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, you know, I just got my, my issue of time at the door, um, the other day, where did it go? Oh wait. Yeah. I don't get time magazine you don't get it no yeah. i haven't seen <laughs> didn't think so i was like what what, what? Yeah, really <laughs> you know what so we're going to talk about this but <laughs> it's, it's right next to the washington post <laughs> <laughs> and the new york times yeah yes you know i just realized that it is we're we, we're recording on sundays we tend to record on sundays for those who don't know and then we release on tuesdays and tonight is Super Bowl Sunday, and it's the first time in I don't oh, know how shit. long that I have not watched the Super Bowl. I have no idea uh, what the score is. I haven't followed it. I haven't, and I haven't missed it. I haven't watched football all all season, and I nope. don't care. Nope, me neither. And, and oddly enough, or funny enough, actually, I was just sitting with a uh, brother Thursday night, and uh, we were talking about a Super Bowl party that's not going to happen. And I said, "Oh yeah." Who's in the Super Bowl anyway? I had no idea. And yeah. I know he said he said the Buccaneers, which I was like, really? The Bucks? No kidding. On Tom Brady's and he told arm. me who else, but I I have no idea who else is, Kansas, is in there besides them. I, Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs? The Chiefs. Okay. And the only reason so, why yeah, I knew I had that, no idea. The only reason why I knew that is we we're watching some shows on um on Hulu. And at the top of Hulu, when you log in, it's got the two logos right there for a Super Bowl. <clears throat> oh, I'll be darned. Yep, but, my, uh, my wife went to the grocery store to get milk and some other things. And she came back and said, oh, yeah, I think there's a party down the way. I said, oh, okay. She goes, well, it's Super Bowl. I'm like, oh, tonight? <laughs> I'll yeah. be danged. Yeah. I, I, no, don't know. No, don't care. Yeah, don't care. I don't feel like I've missed anything at all. Um, no. <clears throat> And that's a, you know, I'm okay with that. I, I have, before we get, before we get into this, I, I do have something that I want to share with you. Okay. Because uh, I really am interested in what you, uh, what you think of, of this little uh, gem. Um, so I saw this on Twitter and 
I'll just put this up here. <clears throat> As you can see, it's a young man, 19, early 20s, maybe. Um, and it's on TikTok. And okay. there's there's somebody here, it's a reply, it's a comment. And I, I have no idea how TikTok works. I don't go on TikTok. Yeah, well, I don't know. <clears throat> it's probably my my age showing there, I guess, right? I'm not one of the cool, one of the cool people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not a tween? <clears throat> yes, correct. I'm not a... You know what? I don't think I actually shared the sound when I did this. Okay, yes, I did. All right. So, <laughs> high tech. High tech. Right. Well, you know, Snurdly needs to get his act together. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, here, let me play this. This is, this is only a... Um, it's less than a minute here, and All right. uh, let's check this out. Exactly! I am the oppressor. I am racist. Oh my god, he just said he's racist. It shouldn't be this hard, you guys. If you live in America, went to school, participate in the socioeconomic structures, participate in any sort of system, education, business, entertainment, what have you, and you are white, you are indoctrinated, you are oppressive, and yes, you are racist. It is something that we have learned, either consciously or subconsciously, all of us as white Americans. And what we have to do is unlearn that. I'm trying to do the work. Part of doing the work is pushing against dangerous narratives that are counterintuitive to that unlearning, like white people are also oppressed by racism. We're not. We are the oppressors. That's the point. You should be doing the unlearning too. Do the work. Oh, boy. <clears throat> so I have, I have all kinds of questions about that. <clears throat> What's well, your initial thoughts now, on that? So, okay. Well, good for him. You know, he's latched onto it. He's he's taken the mantle. He's taken the ownership. He's like, yep, I'm a racist white dude, and I'm going to fix myself. But I, I think, if I remember correctly, when we were watching that um, one particular lady talk about being woke and what white racism means, that if you're born white, born white uh you're born racist and that's nothing that you can fix you're going to be racist till you die there's no fix for you so what's the work what is the work what what's the work that me as a white male has to do because i do contribute to society in some way or fashion shape or form what 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 do i have to do do i <clears> have to my, um, that, that's my wash problem myself with that. in in chocolate and then i'm not racist anymore <laughs> I mean, what's what do I have to do? Do I have to go build a railroad with John Henry before I can be considered not racist anymore? I don't know. But guess what? There, there's nothing that I'm going to be able to do to make anybody else believe that I'm not racist. So, well, you believe whatever the hell you want to believe. I don't really care. And that's my problem with the video is he says he's doing the work. And my, the work? My, my first question was, well, what what does that look like then? If you... It looks like you putting on a TikTok video going, yes, you are. Use white male <laughs> just like me. Means you the oppressor, you racist. Okay, fine. Let's just pretend for, for sake of argument, I go, okay, TikTok dude. I'm that guy. Yep, I'm racist. Help me. Now what? I, I now what? I got nothing. I'm I'm looking. I'm listening. My big racist white man ears are wide open. Help me. Help me. 
I got nothing. Well, that's well, that's what I mean. When you're doing work of any kind, there's a goal at the end of that. There's an outcome. There's a desired output. I have no idea what that desired output looks like. I have no idea what, what the end state looks like. And I have no idea what the actual individual tasks within the work looks like. They don't either. He just says he's doing the work. Okay. Um, calling yourself a racist. That, that, that's just, that's just a, a label. That's just a describer. I don't understand actually what work he's trying to do or what that looks like when, <clears throat> when he's done. But to your point, if you're born in this country to the other person that we had heard a few weeks back who said, if you're born white, then you're just automatically racist and there's no hope for you. You're always going to be racist. Then what difference does it matter? Yep. Then, then there's nothing, there's no work to actually do. There, there's no end goal. <clears throat> there's no way for me to unracist myself. And, but then, <laughs> I, but, but well, then I'm, I'm curious because then I have other questions. Like if, if a black, brown, yellow, whatever is born in the United States and they participate in the socioeconomic structure of the United States, then are they also racist as well? Or they get a, no. they get a, they get a pass. So no, how you get is a it, color pass. <clears throat> so how is it that certain people, I don't, I truly don't understand this. I don't understand how certain people can participate in the exact same thing. So it's like throwing a, throwing a snowball into a, into a, into a, a mud pool, right? Or into a, into the gutter, it's still going to get dirty. So the people that are participating in the socioeconomic structure, the socioeconomic structure being the, the pothole or whatever, and you get thrown into it, you're going to get dirty, right? I mean, so I don't understand how you can throw somebody into the mud hole and they don't get dirty, the dirt, a metaphor for racism. So how do they I don't understand. Maybe, and maybe we're, maybe we're beyond understanding. Maybe it is, maybe it's so, it's so convoluted that you and I are so indoctrinated through patriarchy and we're so indoctrinated into being racist that we can't possibly understand how to not be. Maybe, maybe that's the case. I don't know. It's gotta be it. <clears throat> it's gotta be it. I, I'm, and, and for me being white, so I can't speak for you, Dr. Ramirez. Um, but for me, I mean, I am so white and so um, that that racism is so ingrained within me. I mean, literally from birth that it's impossible for me to ever cleanse myself of it, to use your analogy of getting dirty. It's impossible. But that I think the idea is that there should be some sort of effort on my part to attempt to regardless of whether that's possible or not now so far as i know nobody's actually been able to say well here's what you have to do to do that um and and here's how much that's going to cost you because ultimately that's what it comes down to it's um follow <clears throat> pay right and submit right so here's a different story okay different story here's a different story I don't know if you followed all of the global warming for the last 20 years. A little bit. <clears throat> so if you can, if you can rewind and go back to the early two thousands, there were a lot of people back then who were saying, you know what? Global warming, it's terrible. We need to clean up the air mm -hmm. so that we can reduce the temperature of the planet. Yes. And well, COVID has 
caused a lot of people to stay home, right? And not drive. And not drive. <clears throat> and a lot of cities are have cleaner air. Yes. And that's had that has had an impact, from what I understand. <clears throat> yes, the earth has heated up as a result. Oh my god, no! <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't you can't win. You can't make this shit up either. You, you I'm can't, sorry. You, this can't, is... <laughs> you cannot make it up. So a study was just released last week, an alleged study, and I use study with you know with the whole air quotes that says that the this is the title. This is off of fox8.com. I don't know exactly know which. Uh, anyway. Uh, and, and this says, Earth. the title is Earth Heats Up Due to Pandemic's Cleaner Air Study Finds. Yes. I heard that, actually. My <laughs> wife told me about it. This is a paragraph from the book, from, from the article. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I'm actually surprised it's still out there. Yeah, it's still it goes against the narrative. Listen, listen to this. Listen to this paragraph. Okay. I, I, I don't even know what to think about this. Cleaning up the air can actually warm the planet because that soot and sulfate pollution results in cooling. Okay. And the, and soot and sulfate is in parentheses. So let me, let me even read it without the parentheses. Cleaning up the air can actually warm the planet because that pollution results in cooling. But I thought the pollution resulted in heating. That's what we were told in the early 2000s. You're not following the science. You're just a denier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're being serious. I apologize. Let me back up. Well, <laughs> is it possible that global warming? Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. We have to do this correctly. Is it possible that climate change <clears throat> is a phenomena that occurs outside of the influence of the human species? Yes. It is possible. Yes. Well, because we've only been on the planet for a very short period of time. Well, that's true. Yeah. That is very true. But um, obviously, a change in our behavior has resulted in a direct change in the climate. Well, pollution levels, but yes, go ahead. Keep going. Yes. Well, so I think we need to, this is absolutely imperative. As we raise taxes? No, 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 no. Oh. As somebody who cares deeply about the environment and climate mm -hmm. change is a very vital part of where we are headed as far as at least our political um, concentration in the next few years, mm -hmm. that we open businesses back up, we get out of our houses, we drive our cars, because if we don't, we're actually causing damage to the, the climate and the environment and therefore the world. And don't you care about the children? who are going to inherit the world from us? I do. So let's open the economy back up and get back to work because staying at home, it's bad for the planet. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I don't even know what I, I, you know, I just can't even, I just don't have any evens to can't anymore. I, I just, I can't do it. <laughs> Did you know that the world's volcanoes actually emit more CO2 yes. and pollutants in the air in one month than yes. all of the vehicles 
in the world do yes. in a 10-year period. Yeah, I think it was Mount St. Helens it, it released enough more CO2 than humanity has ever released in the entire history of mankind. Correct. Like in the in the few in like the first hour or two of its eruption, there was more CO2 that was released. Most people don't even realize that the largest emitter of CO2 on the planet are the oceans. That's correct. <clears throat> the they the oceans emit far more CO2 into the atmosphere than hum, than all the humans on the on the earth combined. Yep. Um and and I don't I, so we we should drain the oceans then. I think we should we absolutely should, we should. just yeah, light fire. Absolutely. Uh, find some, you know, pour gasoline. Let's just do it right. Pour oil all over the, you know, drain it. Find the find the bathtub plug, pull it out, drain all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, find some way to get rid of all of the oceans. <laughs> find the bathtub plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if they can be it's ridiculous, be I can be ridiculous. down in the Laurentian right? abyss, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's, a, here's another one. Speaking, oh of, my God. Here, speaking of stupid news. Okay. New York Times. This is from the New York Times. Actually, oh, this, is a, this, is a right. story, this is a story about the New York Times. Oh, okay. Because journalists love writing stories about other journalists now. It is now, it is 220 or 2021. And we've been doing this for a couple of years where journalists actually write stories for other journalists. And this mm -hmm. particular article, the New York Times, it's the, the, here's the title, the New York Times, New York Times reporter resigns for having referred to a racial slur two years ago. <clears throat> oh, wait, Re yeah. read the title one more time for me, please. Okay. New York Times reporter resigns for having referred to a racial slur two years ago. Yeah. Referred. Yes. Mentioned. Correct. A racial slur. Yes. Didn't Let me use it, but referred well, to it. He and sort of two he sort years of used ago? It. He sort of used it. So let me let me tell you. Let me let's just go okay, through yeah, this a little bit. Let's, right? let's go through this. This is, should be good. <clears throat> the New York Times reporter who has recently faced backlash for having referred to a racial slur during a conversation with some students two years ago resigned Friday. That's a that's the first sentence, and my God mm -hmm. is it terrible. Donald McNeil, who as the Times science reporter has reported on the COVID-19 pandemic for the past year, was recently accused of referring to a slur during a New York Times high school student's trip to Peru in 2019. <clears throat> yes, his resignation follows a Times review of the incident and an announced Thursday by the newspaper that stated McNeil had been disciplined for the incident with no mention of termination. McNeil had reportedly used the slur in the context of a discussion about the word itself, something he confirmed in a statement released on Friday. In that statement, McNeil said he was asked whether he thought a student should have been suspended for having used the word in a video. To understand what was, this is McNeil writing here, quote, McNeil says, to understand what was in the video, McNeil wrote, I asked if she had called someone else the slur or whether she was rapping or quoting a book title. In asking the question, I used the slur itself. I should not have done that, he said, calling his reference to the slur deeply offensive and hurtful. This is where we are. Are you <clears throat> freaking kidding me right we, now? We can't even talk. This is <clears throat> 19, this is this is 1984. We can't even talk about certain words with very specific context. He wasn't 
slinging the slur at somebody. He wasn't using it. He was saying, okay, I'm reporting on this story and she used this word. Right. How did she use that word? Right. And that's what he's, he faced backlash over. Yes. He faced backlash because he was trying to get, it would be as it would be, for example, it would be like me asking you, Jason, did Joe Blow really use the term cracker in a negative way? Or was he maybe rapping or, you know, doing a kind of a video for it? And then somebody getting mad because I just said the word cracker. Well, people don't get mad because you use the word cracker, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> right. This is what happened. That That's is exactly insanity. that is exactly what happened. Did so-and-so actually use the word or was maybe she rapping? She, so he was even you know, looking Offering for up possibilities. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And because of that, and this had to have come out from the students who were on the trip. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so that was two years ago and, and now he's resigned. He had to resign. Well, we, we now the article does that. say, hold on, hold on, hold on. The article does say that he was disciplined with no mention of termination. Now, with all in all due fairness to this reporter, because I don't know, but if I were that reporter and that's the way I use that and I came under discipline for for questioning, I'd freaking resign. I'd be all, you know what? To hell with you, New York Times. I'm not working for you. If this is the kind of crap and censorship I'm going to be subject to for just asking about how a word was used in what context doing my job, to heck with you. Here's my resignation. Later, bye. I would. He was at the New, he was <clears throat> at the New York Times for 40 years. I don't care how long I'd have been there. If that's what I, I'd have left too. I mean, this is, this is, this is just, this is just ridiculousness. We have reached a point with cancel culture and everything. And the reason why he resigned is because he was getting, the paper was getting a lot of pressure around keeping him. So they originally were not going to terminate him. They disciplined him internally, but because the woke crowd has been pressuring the New York times so heavily, he resigned his, he resigned from the paper. And of course, the woke, crowd, the, the woke crowd declares a victory. I'm surprised that they're settled with that. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway. But there, there is absolutely no appeasing any of these people. I mean, yeah. that's just going to continue. It always does. Yeah. Until some people actually grow a backbone out there in the New York Times as an example, although it's the New York Times, and says, no, that's what reporting is. Yeah. The content should be disturbing asking questions about it to give you our readers accurate reporting of that but, news but he wasn't he is, wasn't reporting no. the news he was on a high school trip to peru and he was talking about a high school student and some other students asked him should this other person have been suspended and so he was saying well wait a minute what was the context he was trying to figure out what is the right. context around that That's you don't disgusting. just suspend somebody because they use this word but apparently right. you do Apparently, no, you can get them fired for it. Yeah. Idiots. Well, you know what? Probably better off on him because he I'm sure if if he's thinking like that when he's in high school, good for you. He's probably a fairly decent reporter, which means he can do a hell of a lot better than work at the New York Times. Okay. 
So let's Go. shift gears and let's get into this whole conversation about leadership. Okay. And I'm going to kick this off with uh, an article from Time Magazine. Okay. This just came out. This has landed. This Time Magazine has landed on social media with a vengeance. I want to. I want to preface. I want to start this off because this is probably going to make you mad. Well, yeah. <laughs> this didn't make me mad when I was reading it. I, for me, this was pretty much par for the course. This this confirmed a lot of things that I have that I have thought that I have theorized. But of course, I have zero proof because who the hell am I? But mm -hmm. before we get into this, I want everybody to understand that the Time Time Magazine is in no way, shape, or form a conservative article, uh, a conservative outlet. No, it is a, not even close. It's not even close to to <laughs> to a to a right leaning media source. This is a very very far left leaning um, magazine. And uh, it's it's almost CNN on, in print. Yeah, I mean it is it is uh, pretty pretty darn close to Pravda. Okay, yeah. so this is Time Magazine. This was published on February fourth. <sighs> okay, All this right. is this is uh, this is crazy. The title of this. The secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. That is the title. Wow. <laughs> the title, okay. the title alone admits that there is that there are very powerful organizations, people, what have you, manipulating things from behind the scenes to create or to produce the outcome of the that we saw of the 2020 election okay <clears throat> it starts off like this the article said a weird thing happened right after the november 3rd election nothing the nation was braced for chaos liberal groups had vowed to take to the streets planning hundreds of protests across the country Right-wing militias were girding for battle. In a poll before Election Day, 75% of Americans voiced concern about violence. Instead, an eerie quiet descended. As President Trump refused to concede, the response was not mass action, but crickets. When media organizations called the race for Joe Biden on November 7th, jubilation broke out instead. As people thronged cities across the U.S. to celebrate the democratic process that resulted in Trump's ouster. A second odd thing happened amid Trump's attempts to reverse the result. Corporate America turned on him. Hundreds of major business leaders, many of whom had backed Trump's candidacy and supported his policies, called on him to concede. To the president, something felt amiss. Quote, it was all very strange. It was all very, very strange, end quote, Trump said on December 2nd. Quote, within days after the election, we witnessed an orchestrated effort to anoint the winner even while many key states were still being counted, end quote. This next sentence is a doozy. Um, 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 yeah. <laughs> In a way, Trump was right. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This, this next Keep one, this <laughs> next one is a doozy, okay? <laughs> okay? This next paragraph, there was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. 
both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans. The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on, on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial justice protests in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. <sighs> uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm absorbing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The article goes on. Their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and helped secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against disinformation and used data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. After election day, they monitored every, they monitored every pressure point to ensure that Trump could not overturn the result. The untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of, an, of American democracy at its very foundation, says Norm Eisen, a prominent lawyer and former Obama administration official who recruited Republicans and Democrats to the board of the voter protection program. Okay, wait a minute. Yeah, well, keep, uh -huh. <clears throat> they have time comes out right here in that paragraph that I just finished reading. Mm -hmm. Time has said, you know what? There were all of these powerful organizations in the country and they came together after the election to stop Trump in his tracks from overturning the election, from overturning the results. And they did it to save democracy. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's an oxymoronic statement. If I've ever heard one, they, how did this get published? I don't know. Okay. Keep going. Uh, uh. <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I'm shocked that this is out in the public forum that people can actually read it with the level of control that's been happening. Um, that's been exercised by um, uh, Google and pretty much any other search engine that's out there and all of the uh, Silicon Valley right now. I'm shocked that this is even somewhere that you can see it. L listen to a little bit further in the article. Okay. I'm the sorry, article goes on and says, this is the inside story of the conspiracy to save the 2020 election based on access to the group's inner workings, never before seen documents and interviews with dozens of those involved from across the political spectrum. That's called, those are called data sources. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, what was this group? The, these are very these are various groups. Basically, there was a cabal that was put together uh -huh. to change voter laws, suppress right, right. certain types of votes, to monitor social media, to spin everything against Trump. This is insane. The article yep. goes on. It is the story of an unprecedented, creative, and determined campaign whose success also reveals how close the nation came to disaster. What disaster? 
What the, the disaster <laughs> being that Trump could have won? Is that the disaster yeah. that they were taught that they're talking about here? The disaster, so. how yeah. close the nation came to disaster. That's directly from the article, from the Time article. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only disaster that I can it, foresee, that I can think about, is the disaster of Trump actually winning re-election. And the ensuing, all, all what it referred to in the, the first <clears throat> paragraph, the first few sentences. The, the riots, the outrage, the, you know, all that. And I could, you know what? All the riots and, and the rioting that could have happened, yeah, that would have been disastrous, absolutely. But how would that be any more disastrous than what we've already seen in the riots that have been going on for the past nine months? Right. This, the article goes on, it says, quote, every attempt to interfere with the proper outcome of the election was defeated, says Ian Basin, Basin co-founder of Protect Democracy, a nonpartisan rule of law advocacy group. But it's massively important for the country to understand that it didn't happen accidentally. The system didn't work magically. Democracy is not self-executing. This is this is insane. This these are basically this is basically (laughs) saying, you know what, Trump trying to overturn the election or Trump trying to investigate voter fraud. That was what they're saying here is for for those that can put two and two together. They're saying that Trump's involvement after the after the election was him actually trying to attack democracy. But these people who are essentially doing the exact same thing that they're accusing, that they accuse the president of, the people that are, that are, that are coming out and admitting, oh yeah, we rigged the election. Mm-hmm. They're saying they did it to protect democracy. They did it to protect democracy, to protect the American people from themselves. This is to insane. To ensure that they didn't have the power or ability to actually change the outcome that they knew was best for everybody right this would be like me punching you in the face and telling you and telling everybody who's watching well i'm doing it so he doesn't punch me in the face first i'm doing it for his own and i'm doing it for our mutual benefit and and advancement so that jason doesn't punch anybody else in the face it's the uh it's the future crime um, argument from minority report Port. <laughs> but they're but they're the ones doing the future crime right it goes they're on committing the crime in order to prevent larger crime from potentially happening in the future it says the the time article goes on it says that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream a well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions change rules and laws steer media coverage and control the flow information the flow of information they were not rigging the election they were fortifying it that's a direct <laughs> quote from the article they were not, I'm not punching you in the face. I'm massaging your eyeball. I'm massaging your cheek muscles. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, you, you, they're saying that they didn't rig the actual vote count or that's not what they're intending. They're, they, they were fortifying. Well, what they did, they were trying to make sure that the information provided to the voters was, um, given to them in such a way that they had no other option but to vote the way they wanted. They were okay. not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs right. to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. What the hell is that last sentence supposed to mean? That means that 
the future of our democracy as they see it cannot be trusted to the American people right? to ensure continues. Listen That's to, what that means. Listen to this. This is this, the next section of this mag of this article is titled The Architect. And it starts like this. Sometime in the fall of 2019, Mike Podhorzer, I don't know how to pronounce that. Mike Podhorzer became convinced the election was headed for disaster. Disaster being Trump winning. Disaster being Trump gets reelected. And determined to protect it. So this guy took it upon himself to say, Trump's going to get reelected. We need to protect the election from that happening. This was mm-hmm. not his usual purview. For nearly a quarter century, Pod Horzer, senior advisor to the president of the AFL-CIO, the nation's largest union federation and extremely left-wing, mm-hmm. has marshaled the latest tactics and data to help its favored candidates win elections. Unassuming, unassuming and, prof- and professorial, he isn't the sort of hair-gelled political strategist who shows up on cable news, Among Democratic insiders, he's known as the wizard behind some of the biggest advances in political technology in recent decades. A group of liberal strategists he brought together in the early 2000s led to the creation of the Analyst Institute, a secretive firm that applies scientific methods to political campaigns. He was also involved in the founding of Catalyst, the flagship progressive data company. This is... On March. The funny part is, all of this sounds like a quote-unquote right-wing conspiracy. Yeah, and all the all that crap that these supposed right-wing conspiracy theorist wacko guys have been saying has been happening and going on. This is exactly what that sounds like, right? And yet, it's- time is basically coming out saying this is true and this it's has all- been happening. Right? Here's the evidence. And, and they admit it. They admit it. On March 3rd, Podhorzer drafted a three-page confidential memo titled Threats to the 2020 Election. Trump has made it clear that this will not be a fair election and that he will reject anything but his own re-election as fake and rigged, he wrote. So <laughs> they're just going to fake and rig it. So that they can make sure, well, he's going to call it that anyway. So So, we we start the narrative that he's going to do that so that when it happens, um, everybody's going to be prepared for it and basically blow it off. I mean, this is the argument. This is the argument of like in in cycling, right? In Mm -hmm. uh, professional cycling, you have Lance Armstrong out there. And Lance Armstrong won how many Tour de France's? I don't know. I don't even know how many. And, And then he got caught cheating. It was juicing. And then everybody came out and said, yeah, but everybody else was juicing. So he just made it an even playing field. That's what they're talking about here. They're saying that, well, Trump was going to, he was going to fake and rig the election to secure his reelection anyway. So we just faked and rigged the election to be in our favor, to balance it out. This isn't an equation. I didn't didn't hear them. I didn't hear them actually say that Trump was going to quote unquote fake or rig the election. Here it is. I, what I did hear them say is that he was going to say anything other than his victory. He was going to accuse that it was faked, rigged, etc. Right. I know, but, but I'm saying that this is what the art, the article is is referring to. If Trump was going to, because these people in the, these people, these leftists here, are saying that 
anything Trump was going to do, the only way that, because remember, the election was headed for disaster. Yes. The, the disaster being Trump's reelection. Why? Because Correct. Trump was going to pressure everybody and try to rig it in his favor. And so in order to avoid that, they're just going to go ahead and do it anyway to make it an even playing field so that it takes away his power within the election. That's what that's what's happening here. But behind the behind the lines of this article, if you if you look through it, that's that you have to understand they're making an argument that this is the case. This is why we had to. We had to do this. We had to, quote unquote, fortify the election. Because if we didn't fortify the election, then Trump was going to win. Why? Because he was going to clam. He was going to claim that there was disinformation. That there was, whether or not that was true, doesn't isn't doesn't matter. He was going to say it anyway. So we can't right. have anybody believing that. Right. So we're going to balance and- it out and make it so that it's fair by fortifying this election and changing rules, changing laws changing the flow of information and doing all of this stuff. Come on, the A, the, A, the AFL-CIO, are you kidding me? It's one of the most corrupt organizations on the planet. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is insane. Listen to this. this is, there's a section in here called securing the vote. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the first task was overhauling America's bulky election infrastructure in the middle of a pandemic. America doesn't have an election infrastructure. States do. States. We, don't, right. we do not have a federal election. The, the, the election that is decided at the federal level are run, is run by the states, period, mm-hmm. which means there are 50 individual elections that occur within the 50 states, but there are Puerto Rico does has votes and stuff like that. Right. But anyway... So America doesn't have an election infrastructure. It goes on. For the thousands of local, mostly nonpartisan officials who administer elections, the most urgent need was money. Why? They needed protective equipment like masks, gloves, and hand sanitizer. You kidding me? (laughs) Me with this crap? They needed to pay for postcards, letting people know they could vote absentee or in some states to mail ballots to every voter. They needed additional staff and scanners to process ballots. This is so they just provide scanners. Heck right. yeah. Right. The, Sorry, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> uh, the disinfor they, they they have a whole section here entitled the disinformation defense. Mm-hmm. Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative who co-founded Catalyst, began studying this problem a few years ago. She piloted a nameless secret project. A nameless secret project. Well, that must be up and up. Which she has never before publicly discussed. Well, of course not, because then it would not have been secret. Or nameless. Or nameless. This secret cabal, the secret project that tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. One component was tracking dangerous lies that might otherwise spread unnoticed. What? Why does she get to determine <laughs> if something is a lie or not? Or dangerous. Or dangerous. <laughs> Free speech, right? Oh, wait, maybe not so free. Monitored free speech. Researchers then provided information to campaigners or the media to track down the sources and expose them. Are you kidding me with this? Hmm. 
The most important takeaway from Quinn's research, however, was that engaging with toxic content only made it worse. When you get attacked, the instinct is to push back, call it out, say, this isn't true, Quinn says. But the more engagement something gets, the more platforms boost it. The algorithm reads that as, oh, this is popular. People want more of it. The solution, she concluded, was to pressure platforms to enforce their rules, both by removing content or accounts that spread disinformation and by more aggressively policing it in the first place. No, 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 no. This isn't necessarily disinformation. It's information that she doesn't like. She doesn't agree with. Correct. It's outside the narrative that she's going along with, which we've seen. And actually, we've been indoctrinated with the idea that if it goes against the commonplace, if you are guilty in the court of public opinion, then cancel culture exists and is alive and well. And that's exactly what we're talking about. And this is where the wars on um, uh, Twitter and Facebook and Parler have been going on, especially in and around and leading up to the election and, and after. What is disinformation? What is the definition of disinformation? Is that an opinion? It depends so on what day. Am I not entitled to an change. opinion? Right. No, you're not. Because honestly, it's it, you're not entitled to an opinion unless you agree with the societal narrative. And that's the societal narrative that they're controlling, depending upon what platform you're on. I mean, th yes, this... it's disgusting. And, and it's not right. And we should know. But and all of this should be shocking. And I'm sorry, I'm not I, I don't mean to laugh. I this is what I've been saying this is happening for a while and i know you 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 kind of giggle at me um because i'm like yeah yeah you seem upset like you had like you don't know this is what's been going on it's disgusting and it should be shocking and if anybody out there in the sound of our voice actually is hearing this for the first time i expect you to be shocked and appalled here's the here are the last two paragraphs of the article all right as i was reporting this article in november and december i heard different claims about who should get the credit for thwarting Trump's plot. There it is. Remember, mm -hmm. Trump was plotting as well. So this group of secret cabal behind the scenes project people had to counterbalance his own plot by, by cooking up their own plot to keep everything fair and protect democracy. This is the kind mm -hmm. of Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Liberals argued, and back to the article, liberals okay. argued the role of bottom-up people of bottom-up people power shouldn't be overlooked, particularly the contributions of people of color and local grassroots activists. Others stress the heroism of GOP officials like Van Langevelde and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, who stood up to Trump at considerable cost. The truth is that neither likely would have could have succeeded without the other. It's astounding how close we came, how fragile all this really is, says Timmer, the former Michigan GOP executive director. It's like when Wiley e. Coyote runs off the cliff, if you don't look down, you don't fall. Our democracy only survives if we all believe and don't look down. Democracy won in the end. The will of the people prevailed. But it's crazy in retrospect that this is what it took to put on an election in the United States of America. To put on an election Meaning you had to, to, to manipulate it and manipulate everything. it and control the flow of information across social media, change rules and laws. This isn't me make I'm this is all directly from the article itself. 
Right. Which cites sources within the quote unquote group or cabal, if you will, of people who admitted and are admitting that they actually manipulated <laughs> and controlled the election. What, what, what's funny is I want to, sh- <laughs> I, I, this is, um, this is amazing. There's a guy on, uh, on Twitter that I follow. His name is Tim pool. I guess he used to be, a in a band or I don't know. Um, and a skateboarder, but he's very popular. He's got a very popular uh, podcast. He, he tweeted this out. I don't think this even matters at this point. Time magazine just came out, said that a cabal of elites rigged the election. I'm sorry. They said they didn't rig the election. They fortified it by changing the rules and laws, as well as manipulating the flow of information. That's what Tim Pool posted on social media. And yet, what did Twitter do? They flagged his tweet as, quote, this claim of election fraud is disputed and this tweet can't be replied to, retweeted, or liked due to a risk of violence. Risk of violence? Yeah. From who? Risk of violence? (laughs) But he quoted the Time article. (laughs) Right. It's right here. In the article, a well-funded cabal of powerful people to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. That's directly from Time magazine. We... We live in Oceana. This is this is 1984. This is the. I. I, I just, well, and the the, <laughs> the most shocking part of this whole thing, I'll save you from your stammering, um, is that we are in a place right now. February 2021, where this article can come out, and we accept it as well. Yeah, but. And that, and there is no, but there's no, but there's no explanation. There's no rationale, which makes this okay. And the American people know it. And yet we're in a place right now. Everybody is going to hinge on the, yeah, but well, it doesn't matter now it's over and done. That's what I'm going to hear. That's what you're going to hear. And that's why this article will not be talked about on mainstream media. You're not going to see this on the news. You're not going to hear about it from those people. But here's the, here's the problem that I have. Even if you do, Americans will hear this. Some will. Some will. Mm-hmm. Even some people on the left will get the, will get their time magazine in the mail and they'll read this article. Sure. And they will be completely nonplussed. Yep. And, and, be Americans, to it. and Americans will hear this will hear about this article and they won't care. Right. And now the cat's out of the bag. Why would, if you got away with this, I can't even imagine how much money the people who were running Catalyst or these other types of Mm -hmm. backroom organizations that were doing a lot of that. I can't, I can't even begin to fathom how much money these individuals have made to run this. And now they, they ran it and they got away with it. Do you honestly think that they're just going to roll over in 2024? No. They're going to do it all over again. Well, yeah. I, they they did so they did this in 2018. 
you and I talked about this. They had a dry run of this system already, and they, they did it, and they got it, away with it. But they no, didn't, because they, didn't, they had 2020 that right. they were going to get through. Now they did it. It's out there in the public. Everybody knows it. Everybody knew it up to this point, and the only recourse was trying to take it to court to get it looked at, and they said, nope, close the book. We control that. That's not happening. There's no point in hiding it now. What the hell? Right. Why hide it? It's out What's of, the it, recourse in 2024? Nothing. This would be like if you and I robbed a bank, literally robbed a bank, mm -hmm. and wrote an article on Time Magazine putting our name and talking about how we actually robbed the bank and admitting, mm -hmm. yeah, we did it. And then everybody going, meh. I'm going to go out and rob another bank. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Let's if go. nobody's going to care, if, if nobody cares that I actually robbed the bank, well, then why should we stop robbing banks? You're not going to. They're not. We're not going to. But that's and been these, my argument and, from, and, from and the get go. What, now, they're not going to stop here. But now it's out of the, <laughs> now it's out of there. They can literally do it in open, in broad daylight. They can do it There's out in no, the open. I, the last free election you and I have ever have seen and will ever see, I, I believe, was 2016. Mm -hmm. And that was when it was decided that democracy was too fragile mm -hmm. to be trusted to the American people to ensure its continuance the way they wanted it done. So let's, let's switch this over into leadership. <laughs> Okay. All right. That's a good segue. Let's jump into that. <laughs> because Sorry. this isn't this isn't leadership. You can't you cannot abandon all of your principles and your values and and then and then do something immoral or and unethical and then claim that you're doing it to save your values and principles. No. And that's exactly what happened. But you can you can be a good manager and do that <laughs> and mitigate the damage and fallout of a situation that you saw, you know, you you see the train essentially running off the cliff cuz the tracks are out. Um and in your mind those ends will always justify the means. Yeah. Yeah, you know there there's um in in my work I do I work a lot with with teams and with leaders, managers, some are, some are really good managers. Some are really good leaders. Some are not really good at either. And, and I don't want to say that, you know, a lot of the people that I run into, even those who are not very good managers and not very good leaders or kind of bad at both of them, you know, a lot of it, sometimes it's not their fault. Now, Okay. Let me let me let me let me take a step back. I do think that they own a piece of it. And I always as a coach, I always try to tell people there's there's a piece that you own. You can you can go out, you can find resources on how to be a better manager of things and how to be a better leader of people. You can if you're thrown if you're thrust into that kind of an environment. There are plenty of of um, avenues to explore, to get better at being a leader within an organization. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now 
so some some of these people who are not very good people who are not very good managers and leaders they have other avenues that they could explore and they haven't so they own a piece of that they own a piece of sure. not bettering themselves but the organization is also at fault to a large degree as well so there's equal there's equal fault here to that to be spread around and when an organization says you know what Jason, I'm going to promote you to be a leader, director, whatever. You're going to have all these people reporting to you. And I, you're, I'm tasking you with the job of growing the organization. Okay, that sounds great. Most organizations don't train you how to do something like that. They don't send no. you to a training class. They don't give you some books. They, don't, they haven't developed internal training programs for new managers or would-be managers in their organizations to make them better at managing and leading people. And so the organizations own a part of this as well. Sure. Well, and, and I've seen there, there's a big, okay. So one of the things that I think I'm noticing right away is we're talking, or at least you are about managers and leaders. And I think that's important to distinguish. There's a very big difference between the two of them. Um, even when I was um, running a business up here where I'm at for a handful of years, I, I think that I was a better leader of the people than I was a manager of the business. And that's introspection on my part, um, just on, on how I operate. Um, but I know a lot, a lot more people who are managers, whether it's of a department or whether it's of a business in its entirety, who automatically believe that that entitles them to be considered a leader and don't recognize the vast difference between those two roles. Correct. I we do believe <clears throat> that there are, there, there are training programs that I've seen some um, businesses create and, and institutionalize to train managers to a point. I don't think I've seen any who actually do any for true leaders. True. And the ones that do, sorry to say, they try to train managers and assume that's going to mm -hmm. inspire or to create leaders out of them. That's what I've seen. Sure. Because, you know, as a manager, there are, there are various things you have to do. You have to manage certain things. You have to look at your your metrics you have to understand what your metrics mean and you have to understand a call to action for what your when your metrics say one thing versus another metrics i always use the metaphor i like the metaphor of um of the gas gauge in your car the gas gauge in your car is a metric sure and for the most part you don't really pay that much attention to it but you glance at it now and then and there's a call to action when that needle gets to e or it gets yeah, yeah, the, the like idiot light e. comes on and says, hey, dum-dum, time to get hey. gas. And you're like, well, uh -oh. <laughs> that's a metric. It tells you how much fuel you have in the car. And depending on how far you're traveling, uh, that you that needle might mean different things to you. It's a metric. So, you, you know, as a, as a manager, you do have to learn how to, how to read those metrics and how to respond to them in appropriate ways and in timely fashions. You also have to know things like how to pick a certain strategy for your organization. Um, and there are different types of strategies based on what it, is, what it is that you do. All of those things are fine. You have to be able to put together a business plan, for example, or at least understand it, understand why something is valuable, understand maybe you don't write the plan itself, but you should be familiar with various 
elements of a business plan and know why they're important. And you should have an understanding of your revenue streams and how much you're spending and your total costs and things like that. But those are the elements of being a manager. Those aren't necessarily elements of being a leader. Correct. And too often we confuse the two and say, well, if you can manage the books appropriately, then you're a good leader. Well, that's not necessarily the case. But even then, if you were an engineer and you got promoted up and now all of a sudden you're a manager, but you have no idea how to necessarily be a manager. You went to school or you learned how to become an engineer. Sure. Right. But, but doing the books and understanding value streams and understanding, you know, ROI and, and, and profit margins and some finance and accounting as it relates to your business and all that. Well, unless you study that, then you're going to, you're a fish out of water. Right. Right. And that's not fair to you either. I'm not saying you shouldn't be promoted and become a manager, but there should be some support that your organization provides for you to become that manager that they think you can become. Right. Well, and and I do think, and, and back to what you were saying about some of it lies on the individual themselves. If if you've been essentially a desk jockey, or or like you said, an engineer in a business, you know your job, you know your tasks, you know your limited scope of practice for what you do. When somebody actually says, "Okay, you know, Bob, you're now a manager for the engineering department," whoa, you at that point need to go, okay amazing. Thank you so much. I'm honored. I'm humbled. I will try and do my best. Now we need to sit down and I need to know everything about what managing this department is going to mean, not only for me, but also for you, because you're going to have deliverables that you want me to not only provide for what I'm doing, but also what my entire department is doing. And too often, I feel like if there's no I've seen this before, and I'm sure you have too in your line of work, where you got somebody who's now promoted to a manager or a department or lead or whatever director, use your, use your term, doesn't matter. And they go, okay, great. And then they throw their hands up and say, well, nobody ever trained me, so I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And yeah, people come ask me questions. I just do what I, the best I can, and that's just that's all I got. And we kind of fake it till we make it is the idea until somebody finally says, well, wait, don't you know what the business plan is? No. Well, nobody's shared with you what the, uh, the profit and loss statement is. No. And how to read. You one? haven't seen the P and L what's a P and L. Oh my God. What are you doing? Right. I'm just trying to do my job. Well, nobody's trained me. I don't know. Well, there, like you said, there's equal responsibility, but there's a huge amount of initiative. I feel is incumbent upon the individual to step up and inquire about what that means. Absolutely. And, and that's why I say it's, it's both sides. A, the, a good organization, if they're promoting you and they, they, they know that if you, whether or not you have managerial experience or whether or not you have those skills and maybe you, and you know, often they don't, often people don't because a lot of organizations promote from within. So if they hired you to be a chemist, let's say, and you've been a chemist, and then now they want you to be a leader of chemists. Well, what does that mean? You've never done that work before. So the it's in the best interest of the organization. They want to keep you around. They want to incentivize you and keep your knowledge and hopefully get other people be able to get you to mentor new chemists to be as good of a chemist as you were. Great. Right. I get it. Mm-hmm. The, the organization should say, okay, well, there are certain things we need to get you up to speed on so that you can become an effective manager and leader of these new chemists. 
but at the same time, that chemist should sit down and at least say, wait, what are the skills that I need to be successful in this new role? And how can I maybe go out and do some learning on my own in preparation for the other training that my organization wants to give me, right? So both sides, there's a handshake there that has to happen. So I think you and I are, are in total agreement. Yep. The challenge though is if, and I see this in a lot of organizations that I work with, that people are in these leadership positions and they have no idea how to be a leader of people. They know how to manage Correct. things, but they don't know how to lead people. And there's a difference there. And I usually, I like to say there's a difference and the difference is you manage things, you lead people. Not You don't, you don't manage people, you lead them. Right. The problem is, is we get so focused on the managing of stuff and a lot of managers don't understand that they have to take it upon themselves and learn things and so that they can try to be better than what they than what they are a lot most people don't know that that that's part of what it means to be a leader is you have to be willing to grow you have to really do some soul searching all the time to figure out where are your gaps where are your inefficiencies and how do I get better? Because if you can't do it for yourself, how are you going to be able to do it for the organization that you're leading? Because quite frankly, that's your job as a leader within an organization is you have to, every organization expects this of their leaders. They expect their leaders to be able to analyze how their organization functions, find those deficiencies and fix them or improve upon them. In other words, improve, improve beyond those inefficiencies, make them fix, fix the inefficiency and then make the organization better. That's your job as a leader. And if you can't do that internally, if you can't analyze yourself, then how are you ever going to do it of an organization? And this brings me back to Freemasonry. Okay. Well, and, and I, I like the analogy that you use of, of managers, manage things and leaders lead people mm -hmm. i i like to break that out and just say managers control chaos <laughs> leaders inspire direction the end okay. result is essentially like the same so yep. i actually I like had a teacher do a, a little experiment we were actually working on i don't even remember what the heck it was but he was actually talking about um thinking outside of the box and leading versus trying to control and chaos and order and all this kind of stuff. So we went in for, we did a little experiment one day and the tables had um, butcher paper on it, which is how we were doing, we were doing an experiment because there was always butcher paper on the table, you know, because we're going to make a mess with something. And he put a jar of marbles on the table upside down with the lid off so it was open essentially on the bottom and he said okay and he named one person at the table you're the manager make sure all of these marbles when i one person is going to pick the lid up and all the marbles are going to come rushing out your job is to make sure all of them get contained and then you take them to the other side of the room and put them in another jar okay so we all did that <laughs> 
I said, all right, we, we sat around and then boom, he lifts the jar off and boom, marbles go everywhere. So of course, everybody jumps on the table and tries to, you know, herd all these marbles in together. It's kind of like herding cats, right? It's not as easy as you think. And there's marbles falling on the floor and stuff going all over the place, except for one table. And it wasn't mine. Sorry to say, dang it. I should have thought of it first. Well, they picked up the butcher paper and let the marbles go into the middle and they carried it over and then just poured them all in. They were done like that. And he actually didn't think anybody was going to do that because that's what he was going to suggest we do. And the idea was that when you actually don't try and control everything and you just lead all of this, this path of least resistance, they'll go where you want them to go. And I use that analogy a lot with the difference between trying to be a manager when I gave a, I gave a, a little talk on leadership before and use that example. When you try and control chaos, it's, it almost adds more chaos to it before you can finally start pushing some order into people. And that's what a lot of managers, especially in businesses or heck, even a parent, you're a manager of your household, trying to you know, manage your kids running around. Same idea, it's just chaos. But if you can inspire those people to go in a direction that they want to go, all of a sudden, everybody lines up single file and it's an orderly fashion out. That's not being a manager unless you come down with fear of repercussion and dictum. When you can actually inspire people to follow of their own volition, it is very organized it's very uniform and there's an overall sense of accomplishment and everybody reaches the quote-unquote the finish line together it was a nice story oh thank you it really was a nice story i liked it and i and i lost you in it didn't i no you didn't lose me. <laughs> i thought it was i thought it was a i thought it was a neat uh a neat exercise um I don't think it's I don't think it's any secret that if people have listened to this show for any length of time, uh, people know that you and I are both Freemasons, that we're both Masons. Yep. In the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, you know, and what is it that we like to say? What is it that when people say, well, what does Masonry do? What does Masonry do? Oh, what the is- the the tagline the yeah what is um, what is the catchphrase that you always masonry say makes good men better that's i say the same thing we take yep. good men and we make them better men yep right Making that's what we good do men better men right that's what we do mm-hmm. and part of that is making or the idea being that if you practice the values and principles of masonry one hope i that's for me i hope this that you become a better leader yeah leader of i men. can see that Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be of men. It could be of your community. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not, it's, we, we try to make, we, we make better, we make good men, better men, not for other men. We make good men, better <laughs> men for the world around us in which we live, which includes well, all people. And, and this is something I think it's, it's, it's lost in any discussion about leadership. And it, and it always is. And a perfect example right now, Anyone out there listening to this podcast, of course, it'll be Tuesday or thereafter when you're listening to it. But I guarantee you, if when we say we're going to be talking about leadership, you automatically go to your work in your mind. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And you think about, well, I don't really lead other people. I just, mm. uh, you know, I'm a department of one. Who the heck says this has anything to do with work? This doesn't right. have anything. Leadership right. is not an organizational principle. It's a personal value and principle. It's it something can, that it applies to every aspect of every person's life. And it can it apply does. to an organization. It, it doesn't it absolutely can. But yeah. I think that's that's specifically because, if not for a couple other reasons, but more specifically because every organization or business out there has a lot of people right. trying to accomplish a same goal. Right. In your household, you've got at least a handful of people. You're trying to accomplish the same goal. In your communities, you all live in the same just you know, proximity, you have a whole handful of people trying to accomplish the same goal. Those goals might not be as lofty as, you know, um, securing democracy, <laughs> but it may be as simple as just making it through dinner at home and getting everybody, you know, um, baths and pajamas on and hairbrushed and teeth brushed and embedded a decent time tonight. Or it might be with a, a family gathering where you're going to try and accomplish a dinner, let's say for Thanksgiving. And everybody out there knows when you get together with that family for, let's say, Thanksgiving dinner, except for you, Dr. Ramirez, I know you don't, um, you don't celebrate Thanksgiving dinner with anybody because you don't like people. Correct. Um, correct. So, <laughs> but there's always at least one person leading that gathering at home probably grandma that's just how that happens because grandpa goes no -uh, don't talk to me i'm working the grill i have my assignment i do what i need to do grandma's in charge go talk to grandma i mean but there's always someone who steps up and takes and inspires everyone to reach that same common goal this is not a business ideal it's a species driven human principle yes and I think we're failing in masonry. Okay. I'm going to come right out and just say that. I think, I think masonry is failing in that regard. <clears throat> I think it's failing okay, in Arizona. Elaborate. I think it's failing in Arizona. And I think it's failing at least nationally. This is a... And remember, when we're talking about leadership, I'm, I'm really thinking about leaders at the tops of organizations or the, you know, not, and I, I talk about this with the teams that I coach. I say, you know what, in, in a team that we're coaching, we want to have, we want to be open to anybody being a leader because sometimes on a team, depending on the context, you're going to rely on different people to step up and be a leader through a specific scenario or a specific context. And you don't want to shut that down. You want to encourage that. Sure. But a um, lot of organizations, you, you Sorry, I, I'm sorry. Um, you football analogy, since everybody seems to get those. Um, we had the Super Bowl today, apparently. So there's there's a leader on the field. I mean, the coach, he's the leader. When the offense is on the field, the quarterback may be the on the field leader. Same with the defense and those individual groups. That when you've got your deep, your your safety and your your corners, there may be a leader in that deep unit. I mean, there's individual leaders within those. Right. Um, groups. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. But I want to be more focused on the people who actually lead organizations or at the, at the tippy tops of these, of these groups. Okay. And 
you know, for most people don't know this about masonry, but masonry doesn't have a singular leader that a leader worldwide or a singular leader within the United States. We're, we're all of, all of the different um, lodges throughout the country, for example, they all fall under different jurisdictions. And we typically break those jurisdictions up by state. Correct. <clears throat> so the, the jurisdiction of Arizona is its own sort of entity separate from California or Missouri or Florida, what have you, right? Um, and so they all, all of the different states have their own respective leaders for that state. And when a state um, Masonic order decides to take upon themselves certain regulations or new rules, it really only affects the Masons in that state. Yes. Okay. So this is a story that hit this week and this is from South Carolina. This is, well, the story was published. There's a gentleman, there's a, a fellow brother here that, not here, I don't know where this brother is from, um, but he runs a blog. Okay. And he posted an, the story that's out of South Carolina. Um, and I found this story to be very disturbing from a leadership perspective, as well as from a perspective of Freemasonry in general. So the way this story, and I'm just going to try to paraphrase this for the sake of time and so that we can talk about this. Okay. But there was a past grandmaster. And for those who don't know, a grandmaster, he's basically the grand poobah of the Masons in that jurisdiction. Um, essentially the, the president for the state. Yes. If you consider each state its own sovereign nation within the fraternity. Yes. Um, so he, yeah, he would essentially be a, a president, if yeah. you will. So the, the, whoever holds that position is referred to as a grandmaster. And once you are done being grandmaster, then you, then you take upon yourself the title of past grandmaster. And this, there was a brother who was a, a past grandmaster of South Carolina. His name is Mike Smith. And he was expelled from the fraternity because of a Zoom meeting that he uh, organized. Um, and so what happened was last year, because of COVID pandemic, the Grand Master of South Carolina issued an edict and said, no Masons, no Mason can meet in the lodges. And we did that here in the state Correct. of Arizona. In order to, because, you know, um, it wasn't necessarily a bad decision. We can, we can certainly debate it now in, in hindsight. Well, sure. But it was an exercise of caution, um, was, which was deemed essentially necessary at the time. And especially because a lot of Masonic brothers are in their more seasoned years. Oh, that was very was, nice. There was a lot of concern <laughs> over, you know, with COVID I and mean, everybody knows, sure. um, you know, seasoned the... The, the, those most seasoned of us are at greater risk. The fraternity consists of a fair number of gentlemen who are in the highest risk demographic yeah. for the virus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now I want everybody to know that the story that I'm referring to here on this, this blog posting, I have no firsthand knowledge of any of this. So all I know is what I've read on this blog post, but um, in South Carolina last year, the Grandmaster issued an edict saying that no lodges could meet because of the pandemic. Well, the past Grandmaster, Mike Smith, he's a member of the Shrine, which is a different, uh, which is an appendix, 
body of masonry. You don't need to know, understand all the different ones, but it's just a different group within masonry. Mm -hmm. He wanted to have a Zoom meeting and basically get people together over Zoom and see how they were doing. Now, Check in. Do you Back see anything we were all wrong worried with about? No, well, especially, shoot, we were all doing that, just calling out and doing Zoom meetings anyway, just going, hey, haven't seen you in forever. Just want to make sure we get a headcount on who's still alive out there. Back when yeah. we all thought our insides were going to explode. Right. So the Grandmaster, in, on May 29th of 2020, the Grandmaster of South Carolina, um, Most Worshipful Walter Disher II, issued an order that all Masonic meetings in South Carolina were to be suspended until further notice. And I'm quoting here from the blog post, quote, as a reminder, no lodge hall is to be used during this time period. I have stopped several lodge functions that lodge members organized either through Zoom media, phone, or other venues. Brethren, as a reminder, it is a grave Masonic offense to conduct any irregular meeting or business during this time. So this went out to all the brothers in South Carolina. Um, and he, the past Grandmaster was expelled from the fraternity because he violated this edict by hosting a Zoom call. And what he did, he held an informal Zoom gathering for the state's Scottish Rite members, described by two participants as more of a, how is everybody doing? Health check and good cheer session. It was not a tiled meeting, which means an official meeting of the fraternity, or even a private one. Sources say no Masonic business was discussed. At least one attendee claims that Smith informed the Grandmaster ahead of time and was acting in good faith. Nevertheless, after the event, Grandmaster Disher deemed it to be a violation of his no electronic Masonic meeting edict and sought charges against Smith. This is insane. Yeah, that's, that's going a, a bit too far, I think. That, that's um, waving your proverbial you-know-what's-it-in-the-air and saying you... You're disobeying me on purpose without actually thinking it through. And I don't know whether he was trying to make an example, but this is of a past grandmaster. Yes. For, for all of our non-Masonic listeners out there, that's essentially saying that um, um, we'll, we'll take Joe Biden right now. Didn't like the fact that um, former President Barack Obama disagreed with him. So he exiled him from the United States. That's what happened here, but Masonically, yes. Yes. Yeah. He would have expelled him That's from insanity. the country. Yeah, this is, in, this is insanity. But these are the leaders of the, of the fraternity in South Carolina. So and where's the uproar? Because there, there should be some. Exactly. There should be some. And I think, I think brothers here in the state of Arizona have had kind of an uproar over this. I don't know what is actually happening in South Carolina. Nothing has, uh, has come about there, or at least come about online that I've seen. I'm sure there are people in an uproar. From what I understand, so an, another little tidbit, um, the lodge that the past Grandmaster belongs to, or belonged to, um, the Grandmaster showed up and actually pulled the charter 
And by pulling the charter, that also meant that the past grandmaster could not be tried within his own mother lodge. Which means he actually kicked out the law. Well, it doesn't kick him out. It By suspending the charter, it basically says you can't practice masonry here until uh, we decide your fate. That's essentially what happened. So, okay. All right. Uh, um, you've, you've given reason why the past grandmaster was expelled, whether I agree with that or not is irrelevant, but you didn't give any reason as to why the charter was pulled. And the blog post doesn't say that the blog post does not say why I don't know. I mean, I would love to say that there was an actual reasoning behind it and I would love to say what it is. Um, but I, I don't, it's, it's not in, um, in the blog posting itself. It just says that the, that the mass, that the most worshipful showed up to the lodge and pulled their charter. That's deplorable. Well, and, and it alludes the blog post makes it sound, makes it allude to the fact that by pulling the charter of the, of the lodge, the past grandmaster would not be tried in his lodge and then therefore would be tried at the grand lodge level. And at the grand lodge level, the, the current grandmaster could then orchestrate the outcome of that trial and have the past grandmaster expelled. So it appears to be a, on the surface, and I don't know if any of this is true, but it appears that the current grandmaster orchestrated a coup, or not even a coup. The guy's not even grandmaster anymore. I don't know to what end. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know why this has happened. But the, 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 all of the gyrations and the reasons and the actual activities that have transpired, whether or not they're right, wrong, and that's not really my point. My point is, this is an abuse of power. Yes, that's 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 what it sounds like to me. It, it sounds it, it sounds like a, a very the nefarious means are one thing, but the actual action the actions behind this. Uh, sorry, I'm 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 at a complete loss for for articulate thought here. It, it, it's uh, I, I I have nothing and. I, I guess the hardest part for me right now is is that I could see some organizations doing this, but I for masonry to do this is disgusting. This is not Correct. what masons are. This is not who we are. This is not how we act. And this is well, quite contrary. It is how we act. This is this is a, this is a this is a, a grand master of the state of Carolina. He does whether he's part of our jurisdiction or not. He represents Mason, every time either any one of us goes out the door, and we're wearing a Masonic ring or a Masonic hat or you know we've got. I mean, in the state of Arizona, you can have a Masonic license plate on your car. Mm-hmm. We represent the fraternity. Does the does. Most worshipful Grandmaster Disher of South Carolina, does he not represent masonry? Yeah. Yeah. He represents us. Because people people don't know the difference. No, 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 no. And 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 this is uh, where this this is this is where I'm gonna touch on a really hard chord right now. Okay. Because I believe that Arizona is on a path like South Carolina. 
not necessarily with our current leadership. I'm not po- I'm not pointing fingers at Arizona's leadership, you know, in, you know, at individual people and saying they're doing a bad job. I'm not I'm not doing that. As a fraternity in the state of Arizona, we seem to me in my professional opinion, we seem to be slightly askewed in the in the things that we value as a as an Arizona jurisdiction. Okay, in what way? We have placed so much emphasis on making new Masons that we do that almost to the detriment of everything else. It has become now that it, it has become I, a tremendous focus to the yes, detriment of and, everything. And else. I can agree with that. Yeah. We then, now this this is something we've talked about. You and I have, and and I've made mention of for years and years, mm-hmm. um, that Freemasonry as a whole, as a worldwide fraternity, has seen a consistent decline in membership over the last call it 50 years. Um, I, I believe that and, and everybody else out there does. And there has been a great push um, to make new Masons. It's been a membership push and many, many States and many different jurisdictions have um, come up with different membership programs. And I, I remember as a, a fairly young Mason being asked well, Jason, you guys seem to be doing something right up uh, up here in Flagstaff anyway, because our lodge was doing fairly well in that regard. Um, what, what do you think we should do to solve our membership problem? I said, well, the first thing is you got to stop looking at it like a membership problem. And I've said that for a long time. Because the minute you start looking at it as a membership problem, all of your all you're trying to do is add more people into the fraternity. Yeah, it's it's essentially you you're you're just trying to keep pouring more water into the glass <laughs> instead of looking and realizing that the you know your cup's got a hole in it. Yeah, if you start actually making brothers and bringing good men into that fold and give and leading them so that they not only feel like they belong, but that they have a part and they're valued and that they belong to this, you know, proverbial family. If you actually look at it, not like a membership problem, but look at it as a brotherhood opportunity, that will that's how you actually address that. And that goes back to your point about when we were talking about leadership, it really is a leadership focus in inspiring those people to all unify to reach a common goal. Correct. And, you know, I'm going to tell the story. Um, you know, you know, a little bit about this. When I first moved down from Flagstaff to Phoenix several years back, <clears throat> Of course, everybody was asking me, even before I moved down, there were people in our lodge who would tell me, oh, you know, when now that you're down and now that you're going to be down in Phoenix, you should go to this lodge. This is a great lodge. You should go to this other lodge. That's a, that's a pretty good one. You should go to this other lodge. They were telling me mm-hmm. which ones I should go to, which ones I should seek out. 
They were giving me advice on that, giving me at least a little bit of information that I could use for when I came down here. And when I first moved back to Phoenix, I did go to several different lodges to see what they were like. And we, we had, I mean, this is something that as Masons, we encourage everybody to do, to go check out different lodges because each lodge has their own unique culture and you want to find a good, something that fits with you, right? So I would go to these lodges and almost every time I would go to a lodge for their stated meeting, I would show up five minutes before dinner. Nobody would talk to me. Let me repeat that. We live in a jurisdiction that is so focused on making new masons that a dude walks into a lodge and nobody talks to him. What is wrong with us? And it got to the point that I would test it. I would intentionally. Now you have to understand when people, you're taking people, even if I wasn't a Mason and I, you've got somebody coming in off the street, put yourself in their position. You're walking into a building where you know nobody. Mm-hmm. You have a mild curiosity. It's all, it already takes a lot for a lot of people, especially an introvert like myself. You've got other introverts out there. Walking into a a group where there are a bunch of people, it can be a little intimidating. And how am I supposed to meet these people and talk to them? And nobody would talk to me. Where does that come from? Because I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the leadership of those lodges. It becomes, it's a cultural thing. When you and I were in Flagstaff, there were many years before, be, prior, there had been a situation where we had learned, you and I were on the, were our officers of our lodge. And we had learned that somebody had came into our lodge and didn't get talked to. And nobody and, talked to them. And the officers, you and I were part, where some of the officers at the time, the officers, when we learned about that, we took it upon ourselves to declare, to decide, you know what? Somebody has to be greeting everybody. Mm-hmm. Somebody has yep. to welcome them in. And, and it became every week, somebody was on point to do that. And it even got to the point that when all of the Masons would go into the lodge room and close the door, we even said, one brother will stay outside even to continue to talk to that, that person because we, it's, it's, it's weird. You go to a lodge and every, all of a sudden lodge is getting ready to start. All the brothers go in, close the door and you're, it's like you got kicked out. Yeah. Yeah. Right? We get it. I get it. The, the lodge has to do, it's there for a specific function and it has to go do its business. But we, we, the members of Flagstaff Lodge number seven said, you know what? If that's the case, we're going to have somebody stay outside and continue to talk to that person if they want. Because as a Mason, I can go back in there once that person leaves, but it's rude to just leave them out there. Oh yeah. Well, and I can tell you, I've, I've stayed out of lodge many times, many times talking to, um, guys who were just curious, um, heck guys and their wives who wanted to come up and learn about it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I have had incredible discussions 
with, well, some of them who are brothers now, <laughs> um, who openly have said, I probably would not have joined the lodge or been a part of it had I not sat out there and talked to you for that good two hours while everybody else was inside. I you even know, had a brother tell me um, that one of their most memorable moments in masonry, they're a master mason now, one of their most memorable moments was sitting outside before they ever put their petition and talking with me. Yeah. Because you, it's just brotherhood. When, when at Flagstaff, when there were guests that would come in, new people, when we, it would come in for dinner, we would always tell them. Families and visitors, you go up front. You go get food first. Mm -hmm. I would go to these lodges down here. Nobody cared if I actually got a plate. Nobody said, hey, you're, you're a visitor. You're a guest. Why don't you go, go up front? Go first. You go. Nobody ever did that. I'm not saying they should, but it is a common courtesy thing. If somebody's a guest in your home, don't you want them to get served first? I, or at least I, at all. <laughs> I went. I was at yeah. At least or at least at all. I was at a lodge down here in Phoenix. I went for dinner. I sat at a table. No, I I was one of the first people to sit down at a table that seats like ten people, circular tables. Nobody came and sat down with me. People were sitting down at other tables, and I was up front. I wasn't like in the prime spot. It wasn't until I was, it wasn't until I was done with my meal that some other brothers came and sat down and they still didn't even talk to me. And then I found out that one of those brothers at the table was the master of the lodge. Mm. Didn't even look my way. Didn't even welcome me into his lodge nothing this this is a leadership problem we have a leadership problem and if it's a leadership problem at the lodges and this is multiple lodges lodges that i've been to where this this kind of thing occurs so multiple lodges are guilty of this or were maybe and i'll give people the benefit of the doubt i'll give my brothers here in phoenix the benefit of the doubt Perhaps it's been a couple of years. I mean, you know, I have not been to lodge in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very possible that things have changed. And last year, you know, 2020 was pretty much a no show because everybody, we were done. We were basically right. canceled right. for the year. Um, so it's, it's possible that things have changed. I don't know. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe it has. My point being is if people, if the brothers of a lodge will not will not just welcome you in. Why should I join your lodge? Why should anybody join your lodge? And th they're doing that because the leaders of their lodge are not setting that example. Agreed. Well, and and I I'll take it a step further and say you know it's again leadership is not just for the person at the helm. It's everybody. Mm. And so this is not just a lodge officer's Correct. issue. It's Correct. a, it's a Masonic, and it's not even just a Masonic issue. This is a personal one for yeah. everyone out there. Where are we when one man can come visit any organization, 
and be snubbed for being there, let alone one who's actually a part of it. And we as Masons, and I'll take it to a Masonic level, we almost pat ourselves on the back and prop ourselves up as being well above the commonplace level of thinking. And we don't regard each other as sir, but as brother. Right. I, and and this to isn't use your just analogy, here. if you have somebody come into your home and you're you're there and you're getting ready to eat dinner, you're not going to go, hey, doors open and sit down and eat dinner and ignore that person in your house. Right. This isn't just a, a Phoenix problem. This isn't just an Arizona problem. I went a couple of years ago, I went to the East Coast and I will not mention the lodge that I went to because that lodge is a very important lodge to all Masons in the country in the United States. All, I think all Masons around the country hold this lodge in pretty high esteem. I know I did. And I was fortunate enough a few years back to visit that lodge on a very, very important night for that lodge. And I attended their dinner and I was dressed up in a suit and I got in there early because I wanted to look at the lodge and see it and bask in its glory. It's a beautiful lodge. And so I was there before any of the, any of the other brothers showed up, but the secretary was there. I talked with him and then I went in for dinner. This is a formal event at this lodge. There were over 200 people in attendance for this event in the, in the lodge. And we sat down to dinner. Not one person talked to me the entire dinner. I sat in the middle, in the middle of the banquet hall, in the middle of the banquet room, at a round table again that seats about 10, 12 people. And that was the last table to fill up. And nobody talked to me there. Now, this, isn't, okay. this isn't just Arizona. This is, a, this is a tremendous problem. You can't, and all of the brothers were, hey, brother, how are you? Hey, brother, hug, you know, hugging and, you know, and they were sitting down and I'm looking and I'm like, hi nobody would talk to me one one brother eventually came up to me after dinner and he was seated at another table and he finally came up and and he said why don't you come and sit with me in 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 the lodge room and, and i sat with him the whole the rest of the time in the lodge room and that was that was great so in all fairness i want to make sure we got a mm -hmm. the we're sure. looking at this as fairly as possible so i know you are naturally introverted Sure. And you've mentioned visiting a handful of lodges and one out east. Is it possible that you did not make yourself available to other people to talk to either? Because we were talking earlier when yeah. a in a leadership position, there's there's equal onus on both sides. Yeah. That's so fair. let's try and approach this fairly and say, hey, Lucy, how come you didn't go up and go, hi, random brother? I'm Manuel Ramirez from Arizona. Uh, that's a that's a fair question. Um, I am a, I am an introvert. I'm a huge inter introvert, 
And when I'm in, when I'm around those kinds of events, it's very difficult for me to go talk to somebody. It's very difficult. And I think a lot of introverts understand that you as an extrovert, you, you talk to everybody walking in the room. Yeah. Right. Some Um, people outside of the room, even. Yeah. Some people. (laughs) And and so I, I wanted to, I didn't want to talk to, I personally did not want to run around and try to talk to so many people. I wanted to try to talk to just a small handful of people to kind of, kind of get to know people and in the hopes that maybe somebody would say, oh yeah, you should probably talk to that person. Even if they pointed me to somebody afterwards, but that's specifically why. So I know that about myself. I know that about myself, that I'm an introvert and I don't really want to, it's really difficult for me to go out of my way and try to introduce people. Plus there being so many people, it's a bit overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a formal dinner. It wasn't like, I mean, it was, you know, wait staff. I mean, it was formal dinner. I mean, it was a $50 ticket, I think, or something like that to get in for the meal. Um, and it was, uh, it was a black tie event. I didn't have a tuxedo, but all the other brothers were in tuxedos. Their, uh, their spouses were with them, their wives, girlfriends were with them. Um, so, I mean, it was a pretty big, big to do, but it's also why, because I got there early, I sat at one of the tables, not in the back, in the middle of the room. And it was the last table to fill up. Hmm. Well, the tables in the back. Now, keep in mind that it's a long room. And on hmm. one end is a table where the master and the other officers of the lodge sat at their table with their wives and girlfriends hmm. at one end of the room. I didn't sit in the far back. I sat literally in the middle, which means all the tables behind me filled up before my table did. Yeah. Well, and unfortunately, I've I've seen the same type of behavior at lodge dinners. I've seen it at even even our grand communication, which um, for the the non Masonic family out there listening, it, it's essentially all of the lodges in Arizona come together for one big weekend shindig together. And what don't call it a shindig. It's not okay, a shindig. It's, not a shindig, it's but Congress. You, yes. They, we okay. get together to <laughs> we get together to make rules for ourselves. That's yes. what it is. Okay. So and even there we have our, our banquets. And what happens inevitably and always does is you get all the same brothers and their husbands or their wives and girlfriends basically sitting together at the you know two or three tables, however many are there, and that's it. And we collectively, and I think you've even been a part of this saying, no, don't sit with the, your brothers from your lodge. Correct. Go sit with some other brothers, get to know some other people. Yeah. I've loved going to some of those dinners because yeah, I get to talk to people, brothers and, and wives of brothers and girlfriends of brothers from other parts of the state. And the cool part is we have an immediate connection because of our affinity for masonry. And we get to just start talking like, almost like we've known each other for years and we're total strangers, which is awesome. But not everybody does that. And yeah, and I get that not everybody does it, you know, and, and what I'm, what I've been trying to do for, for many years is to, 
to try to think of it as a one-off situation. Mm -hmm. I went to that lodge and nobody talked to me. Well, maybe it was a weird night. But when it continuously happened from lodge to lodge, that tells me that there's something, something within the organization itself, the larger organization is, is setting a different type of expectation because Arizona, Arizona masonry does have its own culture. Even though the lodges have their own individual cultures, there is an Arizona culture here for Arizona masonry. And I believe, and it's my professional opinion, that a lot of the way that the lodges are operating, or at least have operated in the past, I, again, I don't know if it's more recent, but that that's because the Grand Line or the Grand Lodge has built a culture that is on, on its side. It's kind of, I don't want to call it completely upside down, but it's, it's, not, it's not standing forthright. And I don't know why, but when you go to multiple different, when you go to different lodges and the feelings are the same and people are more hell bent on making masons, there was one lodge here that they were going to, they were literally going to meet on a holiday. And I, and I was thinking of actually joining that particular lodge and they were going to meet on a holiday. And I said, well, you realize it's a holiday, right? They said, yeah, but, oh, not only were they going to meet, they were going to do two degrees, two on the holiday. And I said, you know, that's a holiday. Oh yeah, we're going to do it anyway. Are you more concerned with making Masons at that point? Or are you more concerned with making Masons after they've been initiated and after they've been brought into the, into the fraternity? Um, man. well, and, and like I said, this has been, this has been a national, I, I at least say national, I don't know what other countries out there are dealing with, but a, a problem and therefore a sentiment, if you will, that it's more the only duty and the sole duty of any lodge is to make masons. Yeah. I, I, so there's no reason I've to, heard... once you become a mason, there's no reason to go back then. Right. There's, if that's if that's if, the case, essentially, yes. And that's there's no reason to go back. That's exactly why I've said therein lies your biggest problem. If you were going to use that exact same phrase and say the only reason a lodge is to exist is to make brothers, that's different. And to raise brothers, I can get behind that because that by and just the sentiment alone, if you don't want to actually look at the definition, um, is very, very different. It's a, it's calling it a membership problem when your issue is actually create, it's a brotherhood problem. Yeah. I, you know, there are these different uh, appendant bodies within, within masonry. You and I joined one of the appendant bodies many years ago and mm -hmm. um, I went to one meeting one mm -hmm. and that was years ago. Yeah. And then I moved from Flagstaff to Phoenix and I thought, well, you know, at the time I was still, relatively new being back to Phoenix. And I thought, well, maybe I'll go join it now that there's, cause there's, you know, the appendant body meets regularly here in Phoenix and, you know, maybe I'll go check it out more. And 
so I did, I did some digging and found out who I could contact um, about switching my membership down here. And <laughs> it was funny because they, you know, when I contacted the brother and I said, Hey, I'm thinking about, I, you know, I'm a member. I would like to, I'm a member of the appendant body. I'd like to join down here. He did some digging and called me back up and said, well, you haven't paid dues since, you know, forever. And I said, no, I said, I just, you know, just, I paid dues for that first year and never did, you know, never did anything with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was, you know, at the, I mean, at this point it was like seven years Right. Seven years right? post. <laughs> Seven years post. Right. And so he said, well, you're going to have to, you, before you join here, you're going to have to pay back those seven years worth of dues before we can make you settle your dues in arrear. Yeah. Wow. And I said, you're hurting for members. He said, yeah, but you're going to have to pay those seven years in the rears or whatever, however many years it was. I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I didn't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, then you can't join. I said, okay. Okay. Bye. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so they lost a member. So they I haven't they, joined that appendant body since I, I went through those degrees with you either. Yeah. Um, and it, it's not because I didn't enjoy it. I actually did very much. Really, I really enjoyed <clears> it. I really did. And, and I thought it was very, um, very meaningful. And, and I, I saw a lot of opportunity there um, for me to go to those regular meetings meant travel for me, which was right. a little difficult yeah. at the time. Um, and frankly, when I was there, I went a couple times. It's I felt that it was that they were all very, very glad that I was there because they needed me to fill a spot that was missing. Right. Nobody cared that it was th- that it was that I was there, me right. personally. They, but that another person was there meant the world. They had another belly button. Yep, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't want to. I wanted to learn a lot yet, not right. just fill a spot. Right. So that was very discouraging, unfortunately for me. Um, and so I haven't been back to that since. And I actually joined another appendant body and went to a, an event down the southern part of the state. And I think I was one of like, I don't know, 30, 30 other men going through those, all those degrees at once. Congratulations, show up. And I got my little deal and I was done. And I was like, well, that didn't really mean a whole lot more to me than anything else. So I, I haven't been back to that either. But right. Again, I think that the issue really lies in it's it's not a membership issue, it's a it's a it's a brotherhood issue. It's a fraternal and it's a belonging and that is not that's the difference between managing again and leading. Back yes. to our point, when you actually lead an organization or a business or a household or an, I don't care if it's a freaking neighborhood watch, when you actually inspire those people in that group to feel as though they are valued for who they are and and a valued member of the organization or group because of what they can bring that inspires them to want to perform and inspires them to want to belong. Yeah. And And that's otherwise, if you're just managing and you're collecting, you know, how many people then they're, they just feel like they're another person. They're just another tick mark on a sheet. Right. 
that's that's all we're doing is we're managing as a fraternity. We're managing our lodges. We're and we hope that somebody shows up um, to our meetings. But there's, you know, and I don't want to. I'm going to sound. Uh, this is probably going to sound extremely petty of me. Um, but I want something more. Well, and okay, so you've you've had to turn in a resignation and leave a job. I'm sure. Yeah. You and probably more than once. Yeah. When your boss receives your resignation, you go, all right, well, that's fine, whatever. That's that's a that's a manager mentality. They've yeah. already gone, okay, well, sh- that sucks. Now I got to find somebody to replace you, but that's okay. I'll find somebody. I'll put the ad out. I'll let HR know and blah blah blah. When you have a um, a boss that actually believes in you and and has led you somebody that you really respect and they actually fight for you or they're they say oh my gosh you know manuel i i can't you are irreplaceable not just for what you can do but for who you are is there anything i can do to make you stay are you unhappy let's talk you know what i mean all of a sudden you start questioning well was this the right decision or not you know because they're they act you feel like they actually care about you as a person they're not just your manager that's that's the leader of that organization who genuinely cares about you um i there's a huge dichotomic difference and everybody out there who's ever worked in any kind of business knows that but but, but, but we, they can't pinpoint it but we have been we have been here talking as a as a as within arizona as a jurisdiction you and I have both heard it countless times from members of our Grand Lodge who year in and year out have always said, well, we want to change it, but it never changes. So I call bullshit. Now, now maybe again, I want to be fair. Sure. I haven't been involved in Grand Lodge in a long time. I haven't been a part of those kinds of meetings in a very long time. And maybe there have been changes. You've been more plugged in than I have. Sure. But in the limited ways, I'm plugged in with Arizona Masonry through social media, et cetera. So I do hear about various things that do happen. I don't hear about all of it, but I do hear about some things. And I hear, and I hear about things talking with you and, and a few of, of the other brothers. Again, that's secondhand information. I'm not plugged in and like, I, like I used to be. But even when I was plugged in, there were always talk of, well, we need to change. We need to, do, we need to get better. We need to. And, and I never saw any of it changing. I never saw anybody who want, I never saw anybody on the grand line who wanted to dig deep and do that hard work to make change. How has the grand, how has Arizona become a better place? And we get a grandmaster, we get a new grandmaster every single year. Has any grandmaster made Arizona better than the way he received it? Or did he just manage it through the year and then hand it off to the next person? And, and that's a legitimate question because I don't know. Because from where I sit, and for all those years when I was plugged in and I was a member of our lodge, I'm still a member of our lodge, but when I was an officer of our lodge and when I was master of that lodge, like you were, I mean, we're both past masters here. Right. And when I was, when I was in deeply involved in masonry a few years back and I still never saw it. So, and I still always felt that there was no change that, 
the grandmasters were just passing it off one to another like it was a baton in a race. And all they were doing was please don't wreck the car while you have it and just make sure that the next person gets it. Has any grandmaster made Arizona better than what he received it? And that's a legitimate question. It, that's a legitimate question. Um, it's not one that I feel that I can fairly answer. And, and let me, let me explain why before you jump on me. So just one second, <laughs> um, you know, there's a handful of grandmasters that I've, that I know of over the last 12 years. Um, and the ones that I would be quick to say, yes, they have. I recognize that I have a personal affinity to most of those that I would mention. And because of that, I, I don't know if my affinity for them as a brother and as a Mason and as a man would bias my opinion. Is that fair? Sure, that's fair. Okay. So I can think of one who I just talked to on the phone the other day, actually, um, who was recognizing what I believe or what I believe his intent was, recognizing local lodge leaders who were not in a leadership position with the idea that it was at the local lodge level, those, those leaders within their little departments. I mean, so if you want to take this to an organizational standpoint, you're a leader amongst your peers, just by who you are, you're a natural born leader, so to speak. He made it a personal, um, effort to recognize those guys at their local lodge level because they were going to do the effectual change in those local areas that would see the fraternity through. And I thought that that was very intuitive on his part that he felt, you know, his tenure was only, he's only going to be there for a year and the master of the lodges are only going to be there for a year, but it's those younger guys, quote unquote, younger in the craft. They're not quite the master of the lodge yet who actually have an opportunity to change the culture for the better in those lodges that were going to make the difference. And to a point, he inspired me a lot. And I have a, a couple of the other grandmasters who did inspire me personally. So in that regard, I say yes, because by doing that, at least to those few people, if it, if it wasn't just me, I would hope not. That is making a positive impact because they should in turn, if they internalize that, take those lessons and that recognition and then make something of it, then yes, that is creating an effectual change. But I mean, to what level does that reach? And this goes back to my point when I was talking to you, it's not, I don't believe it's just the quote unquote CEO of a company that's going to change the face of that company. It's the individual leaders within it. Now, that being said, it all shit rolls downhill and all of that comes from the top down as well. As the leader of any organization, I don't care whether it's the, the Elks or the Masons or the Rotary Club or Amazon, if you're the guy in charge, that is your charge to lead that organization and inspire everyone beneath you, quote unquote, to strive to be better than they were before you started. Has any grandmaster done anything to inspire you other than the one that you just spoke to? 
Um, yes. Okay. I would say yes. But again, that was on a very personal level, not from a, um, a one based on his position. I guess what I'm saying is, has there ever been a grandmaster who has inspired you to actually go into the, go out into the lodge, into either your lodge or other lodges and try to do greatness at that level? It's, mm. it's, and I, I don't want you to confuse and I'm, and, and I want to make sure because I, I, I will take you at your word, but I want to make sure that when I'm saying inspire, I'm literally saying this person just from, from, the way they act, the way they behave as an individual makes me not only want to be a better person because there are a lot of brothers in our lodge that make me want to be a better person just by, by me being around them. They inspire me personally sure. to become a better person. Yes. But I'm talking about, is there, a, is there, has there ever been a grandmaster who maybe didn't, I don't want to confuse impress with, um, inspire because there, there's some that I, some that I feel are impressive, but I don't feel that any one of them has made, has just from their sheer will alone has inspired me to go, you know what? I need to get back involved or, you know what? I need to go out and reach over here and do something new because they are this beacon of light to me. Has, well, has that ever happened? Yes, but so yes, but Yes, but it was not when they were grandmaster. It was much. It was prior to that. Well, what happened when they were grandmaster? Why didn't that carry over? Why didn't their new position inspire you to a greater heights? Because now they were in a better position to to do so. So this this brother in particular inspired me by who they were, um, and I did say, "Oh my gosh, I need to dive more into a handful of different things," and then I learned couple years later that that person was actually in the line or in the grand line and and going up and lo and behold boom he's grandmaster years after that so that person had inspired me and continued to do so along the way but he did that as a brother to whom i respected and looked up to not as the grandmaster and i think that's more what you're alluding to correct. is that correct okay. i i've just i've never i've never been in inspired by any of our grand line leadership um you know whatever it, it doesn't does they have to in, do they have to no they don't i have haven't to. been have to. inspired and and pulled into greatness by anybody in the grand line because they were in the grand line um so here's here you know I know I'm doing a lot of complaining, or at least I'm I'm airing a lot of laundry, um, and I do so from a place of love and concern for something that I care deeply about. But I know that that as a Mason, I'm at the end. I'm at I'm at the end of my line, um, because you and I have talked about this before. I struggle every year on whether or not I'm going to pay my dues or just demit from the from the fraternity. Because I, I truly believe that our, our Arizona jurisdiction places more emphasis on just adding to the membership roles than actually wanting to keep members that are already here. Now, they may say the opposite. They may say they want to keep people, but I don't, 
my mom used to always say, actions speak louder than words. Mm-hmm. I get that our leadership loves to say things. I get it. They say things till they're blue in the face. They say, we want to keep people. We want to inspire people. We want to do all of these great things. We want, we say, we, we talk all the time, but I don't see anything happening. I don't see, I don't see leaders of this organization taking the organization onto their shoulders and saying, we're going to do something great this year. I don't see that. And so where, what I, where I sit, I see an organization that wants to get new members. But once you're a member, they don't really care all that much. They say they do, and they care to a certain degree. But in business, we also learn that it's easier to keep a customer than it is to get a new one. You know, it's, I've been in sales for a while. And I know a lot of people I know out there, even the couple that listen to this are also in sales. The, the worst place you can get to as a salesman is called selling scared, where you're like, you're, you're so afraid that you're not going to make the sale. You remember Tommy boy, when yeah. he first starts out, he's so afraid of losing a sale that he's, that's what he's doing. He's selling scared. And when you sell scared, you suck. <laughs> yeah. And all you're trying to do is get a sale. And that's to a point what I've seen Freemasonry as a fraternity and, and other organizations out there doing as well. They're so worried about their, they're trying to make sure that they don't die instead of worrying about how to live. Yes. And that's where we are as an organization. That's where, and that's definitely where we are as, as Arizona Masons. I think the fraternity within Arizona is deathly afraid of dying that they just don't want to stop and live. They just, they, you know, get it. I get it. You have to think of, I understand that part of this, you know, part of me, I, I'm a cynic when it comes to government, as far as I'm concerned, Grand Lodge is a big, is, is a form of big government for us. Um, I can't help but think that a lot of the reason why they need membership is so that they maintain revenue. And I understand that money makes the world go around and you have to have some, I get it. But anybody who's a successful entrepreneur, or successful business person tells you, don't think about the money, the money will come. Think about the value that you provide to people, to your customers. If you focus on the value that you provide to your customers, then you will, the, the money will follow. And you'll grow. You'll and flourish. you'll and you'll grow. Yep. We put the we we flip that in Arizona. We flip it, and we're so focused on the revenue needs to increase because, and the only way to increase the revenue is to increase the membership. That's what you're telling me. That's not what they say, but their actions are what that I'm going based on what their actions are. Yep. Now I'm not just here to to crap all over the fraternity here in Arizona. I think that there are things that should be done differently. And I think that there are systemic changes that could be made and not from a governmental standpoint. Well, partially, I think, I think I, you, and, and let's talk just for a few minutes. I know we've been running long, but let's talk just for a few minutes on some of the things that some ideas that could potentially fix Arizona Mason, or it would at least show that there's, that we care about creating value for, for existing members. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, and um, 
So I told you, I, or you know, I, I ran a business up here mm-hmm. for a handful of years. When I was asked to come take that business over um, and hopefully lead it into success, it was failing. It was a failing business, almost on the verge of closing up. Um, and they needed growth and they wanted growth. And they said, Jason, how are you going to, you know, how are we going to get more revenue? How are we going to get more growth out of this business? I said, we're going to, we're going to stop focusing on growth and we're going to stop focusing on revenue. Yeah. Well, Jason, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, the more you focus on that, the worse that problem's going to get. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on customer service and responsiveness to all of our customers. And that includes our referral sources. Right. And we're going to build those relationships up and we're going to, we're going to potentially take a loss for the first 18 months. But by doing that and focusing on our customers and providing a level of customer service that they want, we went from basically a business that was failing to the number one referral source um, and the number one referred business in the area for what we did. And we thrived. But let, let's let's understand something that happens within our within our jurisdiction, right? Sure. We elect we have a progressive grand line, so we already know who's going to become the next grandmaster for the next year. Yep. And unless the stars misalign, that person will become the next grandmaster. We already know. We already know who it is. Yep, for the next three to four years potentially. Yeah, for uh, barring you know barring somebody moving or you know a health issue or some some personal tragedy or something like that, we know who the next lot who the and we could we could even go further than that if depending on how we want to extend that out. But we know who all of the most worshipfuls in waiting are, mm-hmm. and we know we can predict with some pretty good uh, degree of certainty who will be the next master for the next grandmaster for each uh, upcoming year. Mm-hmm. Now that's insane to me. And, and, and the reason why that's insane is because there's no reason for anybody to do anything. So being a leader of an organization, especially an organization that's as big as something like Arizona Masonry, a big company to be a, to be an amazing leader. You have to take risks. Yes. What risk is any of our progressive grand line going to take when they know who's going to be elected and all they've, and the entire culture has been don't crash the, don't crash the car, just get it through your year and hand it off. Is anybody going to take any risk? Because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen one grandmaster take any kind of risk. I've seen grandmasters say things like, you can't have a Masonic club. <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even create a Masonic chess club without getting panties all bunched up and people making people feel uncomfortable because we use the word club. And they feel like there has to be, it has to be regulated and it has to have oversight and it has to be approved. Are you kidding me? We do you remember that when you make somebody a mason, you you highlight all of the values and principles that they are supposed to live their life by. And yet we don't trust 
any of our Masons to make a club, a group of guys who get together to even play chess on a regular basis. I want to start a chess club. We're going to meet once a, we're going to meet once a meet once a month. We're going to play chess. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get together as brothers and we're going to play chess. And I have to create a charter. I have to get approval. I have to talk about what's going to happen with the club. I have to do all of these things because heaven forbid we let anybody go off and learn how to actually live within those values and principles as a Mason and not do anything stupid. You realize how asinine that sounds. Right. Well, and that's, again, that's going back to you're not leading, you're managing. You're managing. Right. So I can't even, even if it's just like, hey, I want to, let's do a movie club. Let's, hey, brothers, pitch in. I'll go buy all the tickets. We're going to go see new movies when they come out. And obviously not right now because no movies are and there's COVID. But let's say in the future, we wanted to get together and just go out and do movies and just be as brothers. We can do that heaven forbid we use the term club yeah we can't do that no because if we can do it in the lot at the lodge level and we'll just call it a committee or an activity an activity <laughs> but we can't call it a club i can't do it across cross lodges right in a in a formalized way if i were leading this organization if i were leading the organization i would i would i would gather my my other co-leaders together and i would say guys we need to we need to articulate what our not only what our mission and our vision statements are for arizona masonry we need to come up with a mission and vision statement if we don't have it if we do have one we need to revisit it i don't know if we have one as a fraternity other than take good men and make them better men does arizona have a mission and vision statement i don't know but they should we should have one. We should be able to articulate what our core values are as Arizona Masons. We should be able, that should be defined somewhere. We should be able to know what that is. We don't have that. We should, yes, I know the Grand, the Grand Lodge has all of the ins and outs, knows all of the ins and outs of all of the finances of all of the lodges. Great. Whatever. That's one, that's one part. But as an organization, you also want to know how the people in your organization are doing. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been asked if you like the Grand Line, if you like Arizona Masonry, if you like what's happening in Arizona? No, no. Why not? Is it because nobody has thought about it or is it because our leaders are scared of the answers? Well, no, I don't think it's scared of the answer as much as it is scared with what do you do with that? I mean, it, let's let's just pretend I was a grandmaster and I created a phone tree to reach out to all of the master masons in Arizona. And I was going to ask the question, you know, how are you doing? Things going okay? Um, is there anything that you need help with? And oh, by the way, do you like, are you satisfied with your your grand lodge and how you're being represented and what's going on. Because unless you say I'm good, family's good. I don't need anything. And yeah, love you guys to pieces. Then that would mean you'd have to actually do something with that. Of course, of course you if have you to say, do something with it. And you know, what's difficult is you only serve one year. Sure. As grand Absolutely. master. So there's not a lot of time for you to do anything. No, 
but that would be something that you would have to actually meet with all of your line officers and say, okay, we're going to work on a seven year turning the course project. And we're going to be reaching out to every Mason in the state and ask them those questions. And we're going to have to start figuring out what we're going to do with that over the next seven years and start plotting a course of correction. Because you can't fix that overnight. You can't fix it overnight. But it here's, here's the other thing. happen overnight. You're not going to fix it overnight. But here's the other thing. The Grandmaster could be reelected. Okay. Why do we have to progress the line all the time? I don't know. That's yeah, I don't know either. In our constitution that he only serves one year, just like the master well, does? It's fine to serve one year, but my point being is you can be reelected. If the brothers got together at the grand communication and said, Jason Moret, you're grandmaster. Great. Jason, And then the following year, Jason Moret, you are doing such an awesome job. You are inspiring. You are an inspiration to all of our, to all of our members. You are doing wonderful. We want you to do it again. No, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't do that. No. We take, even if there's a, there's a person who's, who is doing a job that's awesome, who is doing that awesome job, well, we move them out the very next year mm -hmm. because that's what we've always done. I mean, the brothers own some of this. I'm not trying to pin, pin all of this on, on the Grand Lodge, but the brothers own some of this. They can stand up. They can say no to some of this, some of the stupidity that happens. But yet when we get together at grand communication, one, we like to pat ourselves on the back. Mm -hmm. So we get together and we give ourselves awards. Right. Um, and we get together and we impose restrictions on ourselves. And that's called creating new legislation. Right. So we, we make it harder we, we literally set time once a year to make our lives harder as Masons within the fraternity at the state level. And yet there are brothers who thrive for that. They mm -hmm. live for that. There are, you, you know as well as I do that we have brothers that love to introduce legislation constantly. Yeah. And they, every single time they do, they're looking for new rules that they can, that they can, that they can bestow upon our fraternity to control how we act and how we behave in the state. Yep. And yet this is a, this is a, it's a, it's a government that is, that has, when we talked about this the other week, government has one, one thing and it does one thing and one thing only well, and that is grow. Mm -hmm. And our Grand Lodge continues, our, our jurisdiction continues to add legislation year in and year out for the sake of adding legislation. Because we believe that I, I would be dumbfounded if we ever got together for a grand communication and, and we got to the point of new legislation and there wasn't any. Because we never seem to be satisfied. We always seem to look around and say, well, we need to have more rules. Somebody's doing something I don't like, so we better create a we better create new legislation to control and curb that behavior so that they don't do it, so they stop doing it. We are going to become South Carolina. We we are, I believe we are on the path, maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but I believe we are on the path where we're gonna have somebody in the future who can pull a charter from a lodge for no reason and who can 
expel, who will, who will put together a sham trial to expel a past grandmaster or somebody else just because they said or did something that the grandmaster didn't like. Well, and I hope not. I hope you're wrong. And we'll see. I, if, I, I, we'll, I understand where you're at and I, I do. Um, and I hope you're wrong. And I, I hope we, can I hope I'm wrong. Correct. And you know, to take this outside of the Masonic realm for a minute and, and looking to anyone out there who's actually listened to all of this and is staying through to the end, um, <laughs> you know, in, in, and I mentioned this earlier in some aspect of your life, if not multiple, you have opportunities where you are able to lead others. The natural tendency, I believe, for most people is to revert to being a manager. Yeah. And controlling that chaos and just doing damage control and trying to, you know, control all of this. Well, what if, what if, what if? No, no, no. Stop trying to manage everything. Every, there's enough management in your day-to-day -day life. Trust me, you can give a little bit up. And look for ways that you can actually lead those people around you who are who are looking to you. There are people looking to you every day, begging for you to lead them some way, somehow. I don't care if that's if you live alone and you just have a dog and cat. I mean, somebody's looking to you at some point to lead them. Where can you step up and inspire them to follow you instead of mandating their adherence to what you want them to do? There's a vast difference in that. And trust me, leading somebody in your normal day-to-day -day life is a hundred times more gratifying for both of you. Well, one of the biggest problems, one of the biggest things that a leader has to be able to do is they have to be able to give, they have to be able to let go. Absolutely. And, and most organizations, most people in a leadership role, including this, including Arizona Masonry, are filled with people who refuse to let go mm -hmm. because, because we have been taught that to be a manager, you have to have control. And so we have been taught that we have to maintain in order to maintain control, we have to manipulate things. And if Arizona masonry is going to get better and if, and if leadership in any organization is going to get better, you have to have leaders that trust their people to do good things you have to have leaders who will trust them not to screw up. You, you, if, you spend the, if you spend the time vetting your, your people and knowing who they are and you're hiring and you're bringing them on board for the right reasons, as opposed to what many of our lodges in the state of Arizona do, as long as pretty much as if you have, do you have a pulse? Okay. <laughs> and you're a dude. Okay. You can join our ranks. That's, yeah. that, that's insanity. Mm -hmm. That is absolutely insanity. It means nothing. Masonry right. should mean something. Well, and in that regard, that's that's why you're trying to create new rules to control behavior. Because if you bring raising, in the wrong people. Yep. If you're you're making members, you're making if members you're actually raising brothers, and you believe that, then you don't have regulations around have a club. Worry. Right. You don't right. have regulations. You don't give a crap whether or not somebody creates a chess club or somebody creates a movie viewing club or somebody creates a karaoke club. You don't care. Right. Because all, all that you should have to say is if you're following the principles and values of masonry, then you're good to go. Right. Then you stop asking questions like how do we control what we can do and start 
pontificating on, Hey, what other things could we do? Right. What are all the great things we get to do? Look at all the other stuff we can yet still do and how we can grow. That's how you actually grow and become something that people want to be a part of. Right. Anyway. So, well, it was a good, uh, good conversation. We probably talked, uh, uh, you know, quite a while, quite a while. Yep. A little bit. (laughs) If you stayed, if you stayed with us this entire time, we love you. Yeah. Love you guys. Um, (laughs) Mom, and, dad, <laughs> and and yeah. and and uh, maybe uh, by Wednesday morning I'll be brought up on Masonic charges for something. I don't know, but uh, but we'll we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, I doubt that highly. <laughs> um, it'll it'll if if so, it'll just make the decision to not pay my dues for me. No, I don't think that's going <laughs> to happen. <laughs> Anyway, you can find all of our stuff out on our website at fusionunderground.net. You can send us emails at contact at fusionunderground.net. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We're on anywhere, pretty much anywhere that uh, podcasts can be found. Just search for Fusion Underground. Uh, and we come up. So uh, for Jason Moret, I'm Manuel Ramirez. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Fusion Underground. Have a good Peace night. Out.